Cairo, Seattle. And this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Ishmael Butler. I'm having my cake and I'm eating cake. I'm having my cake and I'm eating cake. Ish is a founding member of Shabazz Palaces. You are listening to his song, Cake. And he is one of the founding members of Diggable Planets easily one of the best hip-hop groups in the 1990s. And this is not my first encounter with Ish. Several years ago, I went to his house to do a print story about what was inside his refrigerator. So I might make you get up and look in your fridge again so we can compare. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I have a list here of what you had in there before, so we'll see how much has changed in, oh my God, eight years. That'll be interesting, yeah. Yeah. And pastry chef Brittany Bartoladen will join the show to bust some myths about an old-fashioned, fussy French dessert, the chocolate souffle. But first, my conversation with Ishmael Butler. Very important fact, I read, uh, your birthday is my half birthday. So we're basically the same person. Oh, we're basically the same person. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's it true. Sense. It is true. Yeah. And your mom was Barbara and mine is Barbara. And I started this thing called D.O.B. because I have so many friends because it's that generation, you know, I'm D.O.B. daughter of Barbara. But you, I guess. Oh, my God, you're an S.O.B. That doesn't sound as good. I'm, that's OK. Don't, yeah. I don't mind. You're but I used to have an email called Barbara's son. That was my email uh, address. You did. Oh, my God. That's the cutest thing ever. Did she think it was cute? She had already passed by then, so mm. but she would have. Did you yeah. do it then just to as a memorial? No. No, everything's a memorial to my mom. I, I, I probably, I don't know, but I was just trying to think of something unique and clever to me that I could remember and tell people, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Email happens to be one of the only communication technologies that Ish chooses to engage with. Is it true that you don't have a cell phone? I don't, yeah. And do you have social media? So I have all of it. When I lost my phone, I lost the ability to log, be able to log into it. So when that happened, I sort of fell away from my phone in a slow float because I lost my phone at the airport in, in New York. Got back to Seattle. It was after tour. So I just kind of was chilling. Didn't really want to be bothered anyway. And I haven't gotten a phone since. So it's been about a year and a half now. Wow. Yeah, so I basically communicate on my computer. Mm -hmm. You know, I can receive calls and obviously communicate through text and email and stuff. And that's been pretty good. I've been on a couple of tours without a phone. I'm, I was just in Lisbon. I didn't have a phone. And I. it's kind of a complicated city to get around. So I had to use my memory and a lot of landmarking and stuff like that. But for the most part... It's been smooth sailing without the phone. Wow. How does it feel? Do you like it? Yeah, I love it. Much better. I've even had people that don't even believe me. They think like I'm trying to like avoid them or something like that. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, right. Okay, whatever. I interviewed Ralph Nader a couple years ago, and he has never had an email. He's never had a computer. He's never had a cell phone. The man has run for president multiple times, never had yeah. an email. I think it's so interesting. Well, it just highlights the fact that these things are cool, you know, and they, they, they can be functional, but they're not necessary. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, 
And a cat like Ralph Nader, he he lived more years without it than, than, right. than with it. So he's the whole, oh, you needed to do this, this and that. He's just like, no, you don't. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, this isn't my first time interviewing Ish. I wrote a very short-lived column for The Stranger, which is an alt-weekly paper in Seattle called Show Us Your Fridge. As a voyeur, I loved this column. I got to go into the homes of noteworthy Seattleites and do one of my favorite things ever. Look inside their refrigerators. Do you remember we did an interview? I looked it up today in March, March 30th, 2015, and it was for The Stranger. And I came to your house and made you show me what was in your fridge. Of course. Do you remember that? Of course. Yeah. I'm going to read you what was in your fridge on March 30th. And then if you don't mind getting up and doing like a little bit of a check on what's in there now. So you had kombucha, walnuts, yogurt. You had a half a lemon, a whole coconut, coconut chocolate, coconut butter, a lot of coconuts and vegan A's. Okay. Oh, and you had a ton of herbal tinctures. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, because my girlfriend at that time, she used to make tinctures, and I had hell of them at my house. Yeah. But I don't have those tinctures. Those tinctures I don't have anymore. She's gone. The tinctures are gone. <laughs> oh, and then you had a lot of nettle. You had nettle in the fridge. You had frozen nettle pesto, and then you had a tincture of nettle that you took on the spot. Yes, that was also... <laughs> yeah, I don't have that stuff anymore. However... Okay. I do have most of the stuff that you just named is in there now. Anything else in there? Anything new you must report? Let's see. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Well, you said walnuts, right? Yeah. Got some walnuts. Actually, I'm cooking now. Ooh, what are you making? I'm making some black beans. I just had some walnuts. There's kombucha. I made hibiscus tea. One thing that wasn't in there that's in there now is I eat a lot of pickles. Got your yogurt, got your homemade peanut sauce. Ooh. There's still booch. I got a lot of tea in there, grapes. I'm on an arugula kick of late. Got some hummus from Aviv, one of my favorite spots. Dude. And a lot of liquids. There's that vegan age again. (laughs) Yogurt in there, dates. You know, I'm still the same guy pretty much. You know? How do you make hibiscus tea? Mm. So, there's a Jamaican recipe, they call it sorrel. Yes, so it's yes. Tea. You get hibiscus um, flowers, and then you boil it with um, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, and uh, allspice, ginger. You boil it up for hella, let the water get soaked in, and then you strain all that stuff out. Put a little sweetener in there. I use honey, chill it, go to town. It's so pretty. It's fuchsia. Yeah, it is beautiful. Ish grew up in Seattle's Central District in the 1970s and 1980s. If you had land, you put stuff on your land. You know what I mean? So my grandmother grew all types of vegetables, greens, tomatoes, cucumbers, herbs, and flowers. The fruits and stuff. We had an apple tree, a plum tree, and a cherry tree in our backyard. In Seattle at that time, too, everywhere you went was wild blackberries. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that now, but it was even more back then. So there was a lot of blackberry preserves, blackberry cornbread, blackberry jam, blackberries in your oatmeal. You know, I think that's how everybody ate was a combination of what you had growing in your yard and 
what you could afford to get from the store. Mm-hmm. But my next door neighbors, the Whitfields, I think they were from Arkansas. They had a full like rural farm situation going on. Chickens. That was just a normal thing, waking up to chickens and stuff like that. You know what I mean? The Central District is right in the middle of the city. So it was pretty cool and very interesting to hear that people were doing small scale farming in this super urban neighborhood just a handful of decades ago. You are a super healthy eater. Do you think that that comes from eating a lot of fresh vegetables and fruit when you were a kid? I think the sort of like willingness to try new things. Back then, like we didn't really say, oh, mom, I want this or I want that. You know what I mean? You, you ate what you got fed, you know? So if they were cooking greens or Brussels sprouts or spinach or whatever, like it never occurred to me to think I didn't like it and, and ask for something else. So I think that like helped to broaden my palate, let me be adventurous when it came to trying out things and seeing what I liked and also being accustomed to eating fresh and healthy things as well. So Yes, I do think that had a lot to do with it. But also my pop was, he had got into eating healthy, paying attention to what you eat when he was young. Mm -hmm. And he imparted that to me. When I talked to you last, you said that you like to go grocery shopping every day. Very European. Do you still do that? Yeah. I like Mm -hmm. this romanticized idea of you shopping every day on like your bicycle and you have your little baguette sticking out. That has happened. Like, I do have a bicycle and I I do sometimes get a baguette and I have put it in my backpack and it's sticking up. So, man, you might actually, that might come true one day. You might see me tooling around like that. Then I'm going to have to keep a beret in my car at all times. And if I see you, I'm going to throw it out the window like a Frisbee and it's going to land perfectly on the top of your head. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back... Ishmael loves music and food, and it all comes together in the Shabazz Palace song called Chocolate Souffle. So you have a song called Chocolate Souffle. A little bit of the lyrics. Hey, hey, live life like a chocolate souffle. Hey, 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 live life like a chocolate souffle. What does it mean to live your life like a chocolate souffle? Fluffy, sweet, warm, dark illumination, desired, desirable, excessive, um, simple, simple mixtures of simple ingredients to come up with extravagant confections. Things like that. I love that. Have you <laughs> have you made a chocolate souffle before? Yeah. Do you yeah. make it often? I've never made one before. I've never no, had one. No. Nah, nah. Um, it's not easy to make because you gotta really have your 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 sort of like techniques together, your ingredients together. You know, there's like there's like uh, magic kind of involved in getting it right. I don't really like them that much. I, 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 <laughs> I, I like the idea of them more than I actually like the uh, taste of them. And uh, I like the word. I like the way it looks and sounds. And yeah, That's it's provocative to me. Yeah. How did you come up with that lyric? How did the chocolate souffle pop in your head? You know, I don't have the foggiest idea, but um, when you're making music and stuff, like thought is just like a river flowing through your mind and like some things you can catch and grab some things wash ashore, you know, and 
you don't really know where from upstream they came. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But probably just from um, some exposure to it, my mind being attracted to it and then sort of just putting it in the files in my mind. And then like when it, when I needed it or when some certain circumstances happened, it came up and I, I was able to grab onto it and um, take off from there. Now I'm trying to think of other foods that are a better idea conceptually than actually in flavor. I feel that way about macarons, those little French. I don't really like them, but they look so cute. Green, purple, blue. Like, I love seeing them, but I've never, ever in my life purchased one or or even, I don't even, I I can't even say I tasted them. I had one recently and I was like, meh. (laughs) Are they sweet? Yeah, they're sweet, and it's meringue on the outside, and it's supposed to be soft meringue, but I think they're too sweet. Yeah, I'm not into those either. That's a good example of that. Chocolate souffle. It's the kind of elegant, old-school dessert you definitely know about, but rarely see on a menu these days. As a kid, I remember seeing souffles in movies or on TV, and even then getting the impression that making one was a huge culinary feat. When I hear a souffle, the only thing I think about is, be careful, don't let it fall, don't slam the oven door. What's the story with that? Yeah, whisper, whisper, I've got a souffle in the oven. Um, That's a bunch of... That's pastry chef Brittany Bartolabin. Her last name is very fun to say. Brittany is head pastry chef at Hot Cakes, a molten chocolate cakery in Seattle that does these delicious, gooey, modern takes on the lava cake. You might remember Brittany from an episode a few years back with comedian Guy Branham. She came on to teach us the difference between cobbler's crisps, buckles, slumps, and grunts. I love Brittany, and I'm super excited to welcome her back to the show. All right, so back to chocolate souffles and how they are treated like fragile women in old black and white movies. There's this belief that they will faint and collapse if even slightly rattled. It's based in truth, but it's been spun wildly out of control and gives people anxiety when it's, I'm not going to say they're easy, but they're also surprisingly not all that hard. The whole uh, don't move when, the, when it's in the oven, that's all based in the egg whites. People are afraid of the, the souffle falling while it's in the oven. The nature of souffle is that it's going to fall. It's supposed to fall when it comes out of the oven. But I think the fear is that while it's rising in the oven, any sort of jostling movement or anything near the oven, people are afraid it's going to collapse. I've personally never seen that happen, but it's sort of gained this fear, kind of like pie crust. It's similar to pie crust where people get afraid because of all of these old wives tales which are kind of ridiculous what is a chocolate souffle so a chocolate souffle is essentially a chocolate mousse it's all the same components of a chocolate mousse it's five ingredients eggs chocolate sugar butter salt sometimes vanilla Um, but rather than making your chocolate mousse and digging in with a spoon you are going to portion it into buttered and sugared ramekins and bake it in the oven until it rises and becomes this light airy ethereal magical little dessert so you could actually make a batch of this like a double batch and then have mousse one day and souffle the next day it's exactly the same totally brilliant idea you may have noticed that both Ish and Brittany describe chocolate souffle as magic. So a good souffle, when it comes out of the oven, will have a light and airy outer texture that practically melts in your mouth. And then as you get closer to the center, uh, the souffle will have a texture that's more creamy, sort of custardy, eggy. 
Um, ideally, it's had some sort of sauce poured into the center of it that sort of mingles with that souffle and creates just these beautiful creamy textures that it's it's there's nothing like it there's nothing like a souffle it's magical Ooh, so what's an example of a sauce you would pour in i've actually never had a chocolate souffle before or any souffle oh you're missing out <laughs> um my favorite sauce to pair with souffle is just a simple creme anglaise which is basically melted ice cream base it's just going to be a, a nice custard sauce for me that's just the best blend of textures but it's also common to serve it with a fruit sauce or even just fresh fruit whipped cream but uh if you ask me creme anglaise is the way to go to make a chocolate souffle the eggs are separated the yolks are mixed with melted chocolate and butter and the whites are whipped into fluffy peaks which is part of what makes the dessert rise into an airy cocoa cloud you need to use the best possible chocolate you can get your hands on a good souffle is only as good as the chocolate that you're using you need to make sure and butter and sugar your ramekin thoroughly. Heat is very important. That's what makes the souffle rise. One of those old wives tales that actually rings true is don't open the oven door while they bake. Less heat means less poof, but you don't need to whisper or tiptoe around the house while it bakes. But if you just follow those basic steps, you're going to be able to pull off a decent souffle. Do you see them on menus anymore? Do you think that it's an old school dessert? It is an old school dessert. It, it was mostly popular in like the early 1900s. I think they probably started going away around the time that like we were born, like early 80s is yeah. when they were just like, OK, we're done with this. We started seeing more deconstructed desserts. A lot of it is everybody's involved in a souffle. The pastry chef needs to actually make the souffle. And it's not as common to have a pastry chef there during service anymore. If that's the case, and if you want to put a souffle on your menu, you are relying on your most likely your pantry cook, the person who plates desserts. That's the first job you get at a restaurant. You, then you move up to sauce and grill and things like that. So to be honest, a pantry cook is probably one of the lower skilled positions in a restaurant. And so you don't necessarily want that person making your souffle. And then the service staff gets involved. They bring it to the table. They pour the sauce. So it's like that old school production dessert. It's a lot of trouble to go to. There's just a lot that goes into the execution that people are just moving away from. The souffle has to be made to order so it can be served tall and puffed up and it will collapse within about 15, 20 minutes. In French, the word souffle means to inflate or to puff. And the first written recipe is attributed to French chef Vincent LaChapelle in the early 18th century. But his was a savory souffle, no chocolate. The chocolate souffle came later. Have you had a savory souffle? Yes. And that I would actually eat that over a chocolate souffle any day. Like a good cheesy herby souffle to me is just delicious. So on your personal rank of desserts, you know, I'm sure you don't eat souffles very often, but yeah. how would you rank them? One being like, ugh, I really never, ever need to have that dessert. And 10 being my favorite, like that kind of texture and flavor. Where do you put it on your dessert scale? I would give it, I'd give it a three. It's, oh, let's just say I respect them. I respect them immensely. <laughs> It's just not what I'm going to order. It's not what I like to eat. I'm a fruit person, believe it or not. I know pastry chef for a, a chocolate cakery, but I would much rather have a well-made double crust fruit pie any day of the week than a souffle. But having said that, I think it's something everybody should make once in their lives, just because I'm not going to say they're easy, but they're also not that hard. And you will feel like such a rock star when you pull it off because you, you will. I really want to make one. They're so cute. 
They're like these little ramekins wearing tall Russian puffy fur hats. If it wasn't summer, I would challenge us all to make souffles and post them on Instagram. But we're going to wait until it gets cooler, when it's more sane to turn our ovens on again. But keep an eye on my Instagram stories because I will challenge you to a souffle off. When the leaves start to change and the clock strikes midnight on Pumpkin Spice Latte Eve, there will be souffles. Follow me on Instagram. Hello, Rachel Bell. All right, you've waited long enough. After the break, Ishmael Butler reveals his last meal. Okay, let's get to the big question. What would your last meal be? Ooh, are there any like stipulations? Is there any amount of stuff? Like nope. you just get to eat as much as you can eat yeah, and then you're out of here? It's an all-you-can-eat Sizzler buffet, whatever you want. I would have to go with a slow roasted chicken, some spinach, some potatoes that had been boiled and then baked or fried so they were like crispy, some rice and some honey June kombucha. Some ice cold water. What kind of kombucha? Honey June. Some kombuchas they make with um, sugar. Some Mm. they make with honey. And um, I think a nice, like a nice pour of Hennessy with how I finish it all off. Like a nice shot. Yeah, that would be it. What's the significance of that meal? You know, those are the things that I've made for myself and for my family that my family really likes, but it all started from something that I really like to make. And it's kind of like my favorite um, thing. And I learned all that stuff from my mother, my father, and my two grandmothers. So talk about slow roasting a chicken. Does it still get crispy? How do you do it? So the way I like to do it is I like to do it in a um, cast iron pan. So I put a little oil on the pan. I like to use like thighs. Put it on like 225, salt and pepper, onions, garlic, a lot of them in there and just like, like let it roast over the course of the day. I might put it in in the morning, come back, and it's pretty much done. Slow cooked all the way through down to the bones where it's kind of falling off. And then I'll broil it fast to get mm. the crispiness how I like it. So what so, temperature are you doing it at if it's sitting in there all day? Um, Anywhere from two. 100 to 225. Who taught you that? That's my grandma, Emily, who I grew up with here in Seattle. Who taught you how to make potatoes? My dad. How does he do it? Like if you can get them in the fridge when you cook them, like if you fry them or bake them, they'll they'll get crispier than they would if you hadn't boiled them or let them chill for a little while. For his last meal, Ishmael Butler wants slow-roasted crispy chicken thighs, some spinach, crispy potatoes, rice, Honey June kombucha, ice cold water, and a nice pour of Hennessy. What's the significance behind your last shot of Hennessy? Well, when you say last meal, I'm thinking either you're about to get executed or you're about to like leave this earth forever or something. So I was just trying to have a stiff one before that happened. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just trying to, you know, take the edge off. Yeah, you know, so. But um, that's my favorite uh, alcoholic drink. Is that something that you drank like since you were a teen or did that come later? That came later. I didn't drink or nothing as a teen. I was an athlete and I was like real meticulous about 
what I put in my body and stuff like that. So I didn't drink until I got older. But all my uncles drank it, and it's kind of like, you know, all the cats in the hood drank Hennessy. Once I tasted it, I was like, okay, I see why this is a thing, you know? Can you describe what it tastes like? I actually have never had it. Hmm. It tastes like warm, sort of like fireball with the edges sort of softened around it. You know what I mean? Mm. It's It's kind of like the alcohol version of a chocolate souffle. It really is. And uh, the two of them together would probably be pretty good as well, I bet. Garfield High School in Seattle, which just has this amazing list of well-known people who went there. I mean, of course, Jimi Hendrix and Quincy Jones, Bruce Lee, Macklemore, more recently, uh, Lindy West. and Macklemore didn't go to Garfield, he man. Did. Somebody got to prove that to me, man. Everybody <laughs> thought he was talking about he went to Garfield. That's my man, but I don't know, man. I need to see a picture of him in the hallway in the activity <laughs> center at CAYA something before I know I'm just playing. Um, it said it on Wikipedia, ahead. so it's true, okay? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I was wondering if you thought, I mean, is there some kind of magic to this school or the neighborhood? Like, why do you think so many successful, interesting artists came out of that school? This land that we live on is definitely magical. You can look at the nature and uh, all of the different types of topography and all of the different kind of weather systems and stuff that, that are here. And not to mention, obviously, the people that were here from the inception of this place. So it's definitely magical. But like I said, the Central District definitely was a fertile, magical place. A lot of the people that came this far up into the world were adventurers and explorers and like people that were curious and, you know, people that were willing to go to a place sight unseen and settle down there. That's, I think, what cultivated the soil and the environment and the social atmosphere that made for such um, cool people to have been um, from here and from specifically the Central District and Garfield and all that kind of stuff. Before I let you go, I'm going to do a little quick food speed round with you. Since your half birthday is my birthday, okay. what is your perfect birthday cake? Oh, coconut. Coconut? More coconut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a coconut nut. I can't help it. You're a coconut. I'm a coconut nut. Yeah. Coconut cake. Yeah, I, I like a moist cake. You know, I like layers, icing, softness, coconut cake with some coconut flakes on it, too. I also like the red velvet cake, too. I ain't gonna lie. What's your favorite thing to get as a treat at the movie theater? You know, I'm not really a, like a concession stand guy at the movies, but I would have to say I got to take it back to when I was a kid. And my favorite thing to get at the movies back then was a Reese's peanut butter cup. I ate enough of them when I was a kid to last me a couple of lifetimes. I feel like now, because you're so healthy, you just stuff your pockets with like carrots and celery, and then you go in the movie theater and pull them out. Uh, almond, I have taken almond butters and apple slices in the movie theater. You have. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you first started touring or first started getting recognized, like the first fancy meal that you went out for, whether it was on your own or like taken out by record executives? Hmm, that's a good question. Um I remember one time, you know, Thai food really wasn't that prevalent when I was growing up. Mm. And then I moved to New York and I hadn't had it yet. And then they took us out to a Thai restaurant in New York. And 
I had never had it before, and it's become one of my favorite kinds of food. So that I remember thinking to myself, like, man, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. this is amazing. So that, and um, also there was a Japanese restaurant they took us to in L.A. that was on La Brea. It was like a big deal to get in there and get a table and stuff like that. I forget the name of it, but I'm allergic to fish, so I couldn't really eat that much in there. But they ended up making me some sushi that had uh, tempura vegetables in it and green onions. And I had never had sushi before. And that, that rocked my world, too. Nice. And I also uh, drank um, sake for the first time. And that was Ishmael Butler's last meal. Shabazz Palaces is playing the Day In, Day Out Festival in Seattle this Saturday. You can find a link to tickets in the show notes. Oh, and past your last meal guest, Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast, also performs at Day In, Day Out. She's going to be there on Sunday. Big thanks to Brittany Bartolabin, head pastry chef at Hotcakes in Seattle. Get the chocolate cake, but also make sure to try their s'mores cookie. They make them with house smoked chocolate chips. If you were going to make dessert at home tonight just for your family, what would you pick? I am literally making dessert at home this weekend for my family. And I'm like, should I do a blackberry cobbler or a Texas cheat cake? So I'm very down home. And also I'm feeding my parents and they don't want to be impressed. They just want a well-made, simple, delicious dessert. Your Last Meal is produced by me and Laura Scott. Original theme music by Prom Queen. If you're not already, follow along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell, B-E-L-L-E. I just, 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 just got home from a two-week camper van road trip through Southwest Colorado. We went over to Arches in Utah, Crater Lake in Southern Oregon, and I took a big, refreshing social media break. But I do want to post some of the fun cooking that we did in the van during the trip. So stay tuned for that. And if you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or share an episode with a friend or a frenemy. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Hey. Hi. Sorry. I, uh, I'm late. I forgot. That's okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, good, good. Let me, um, let me, uh, put a shirt on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Are we doing it on camera?